Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelin Zinzi, Amanda Machaka and Nedo Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawah, Tanzania's new president Samia Suluhu Hassan calls for unity and Indian company to make 200 million doses of Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. In economics news, South African Airways administrators hope to exit by month end and in sports news, South African Olympic body elects six members of its athletes commission. But first up the news with Onelin Zinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Voting has been completed for the presidential election in the Republic of Congo. The authoritarian incumbent president, Denis Sassou is hoping to entrench his 36-year rule. He's facing six challenges, but the main opposition has been hospitalized for COVID-19-related complications. The BBC's Emery Makumano. Catholic bishops and right activists in the country have expressed concerns over the transparency of the process. Previous polls have been marred by violence and challenges to the results. Two opposition candidates from earlier elections are still in prison after disputing the results. A second round will take place if no candidate manages to secure the required 50% plus one vote. A state in western Nigeria has reopened 10 schools that were recently closed during a deadlock over the jihad, a religious veil worn by Muslim females. The Kwara state government has reopened the schools which were founded by Christian missionaries. Muslim leaders have insisted that students should be allowed to use the head covering in accordance with the constitution, but their Christian counterparts said such negates the heritage of the mission. There is currently a deadlock over the jihad. The number of coronavirus cases in South Africa is continuing to rise since government moved the country to level one of the lockdown. Senior researcher at Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, Dr. Rewat Suleiman, says the cases are increasing by 2% week on week. Uh, Suleiman says some localized outbreak and COVID fatigue are responsible for the increase in cases. Um, over the last week, the number of new cases that we've reported across the country has been um, just about 1,200 cases on average per day. Um, it's shown a 2% increase week on week. Um, so while the increase is not drastic and certainly no cause for alarm, um, it is being driven by localized outbreaks in certain regions. So what is clear is that the virus is still with us. Um, and although COVID fatigue is certainly creeping in, um, we still have a marathon race to run and the race is far from over. President Joe Biden is calling for laws that enable discrimination in the United States to be changed while urging Americans to change their hearts. The White House released a statement late Sunday to mark the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, which it observes on March 21st to mark the Shutville Massacre, show in Bryce Peace reports. Biden called it one of the country's core values to stand as Americans against hate, referring to systemic racism and white supremacy as ugly poisons that have long plagued the nation. He called for all nations and people to recommit to the fundamental truth that every human being has inherent dignity and deserved to be treated with fairness. Biden said hate could have no safe harbor in the country, nor should it anywhere else in the world. His statement comes amid mounting pressure on law enforcement authorities to treat last week's deadly shooting in Atlanta of eight people, including six women of Asian descent, 
as a hate crime. Lastly, a Russian human rights group says police have detained 10 children and teenagers at an art center in St. Petersburg on suspicion of promoting gay values. They were taking part in a cosplay festival dressed in costumes representing Japanese INM cartoon characters. The BBC's Mike Sender explains. Parents of the children detained believe they were set up. They said police turned up after a girl unknown to the group posed for pictures with a rainbow flag, an LGBT symbol. Promoting information contrary to traditional family values is banned under what's widely seen as an anti-gay law. But anime and manga themselves also meet with official disapproval. In January, a court in St. Petersburg banned episodes of four anime series, saying they romanticised death and promoted suicide. Channel Africa News, I'm SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Our Tanzania's exiled opposition leader Tundulisu is calling on President Samia Suluhu Hassan to depart from the ways of her predecessor in the country's fight against COVID-19. A vocal COVID skeptic, the late President John Magufuli had long downplayed the severity of COVID-19, urging Tanzanians to pray, use steam inhalation and embrace local remedies to protect themselves from the respiratory disease. Isaac Lukando reports from Dar es Salaam. Tanzania's main opposition leader has urged the country's new president to change course in the fight against COVID-19. The East African nation's first female head of state, Samia Suluhu Hassan, was inaugurated on Friday following the death of vocal coronavirus skeptic John Magafuli. Tanzania stopped providing coronavirus data in May last year, having reported 509 cases and 21 deaths. Speaking from exile in Belgium, Tundu Lissu urged Hassan to depart from the ways of her predecessor. President Magufuli, as I have said, was absolutely, adamantly reckless in his approach to COVID-19. And as a result, it has caused so many unnecessary deaths. Uh, Vice President Samia Sulu Hassan is going to have to change calls because there is nothing else. Lissu went into exile after unknown gunmen shot him 16 times in 2017. He accused the state of trying to kill him, which the government denied. Speaking from his home, he said, without providing evidence, that Magafuli died from COVID-19. No one in Tanzania, in Tanzanian government, would dare, would dare admit the obvious, that President Magufuli died of COVID-19. Lissu cited medical, diplomatic and security sources in Tanzania and Kenya for his information. A government spokesman did not respond to a request for comment. Dr. John Pombe, Joseph Magufuli. Announcing Magufuli's death on Wednesday, Hassan said he had died of heart disease. One of the first decisions she now faces is whether to procure the vaccines that her predecessor denounced as a Western conspiracy. She also inherits a country polarised after six years of Magafuli's rule. Speaking after her inauguration on Friday, Hassan said it was time to bury differences and become one as a nation.
that report by Isaac Lukando in Dar es Salaam. There is mayhem in the Zimbabwean opposition politics following recent recalls of parliamentarians and councillors by Douglas Monzora, leader of a faction on the MDCT that lost elections in 2018 following a March 2020 constitutional court ruling on the successor of the late MDC leader Morgan Tsangarai. The main opposition has been rendered voiceless. At least 43 legislators have been recalled to date. More from our correspondent Simon Mochemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Politics in Zimbabwe could be taking a new dimension following the recalls of legislators from the Movement of Democratic Change, MDC Alliance, from Parliament. At least 43 legislators have so far been affected, with the most recent being Tendai Biti, former finance minister during the era of the government of national unity. BT's recall last week exposed the ills in the Zimbabwean politics filled with malice instead of reason and development. What is funny and confusing to many in the country is that the recalls are being conducted by alleged leaders of the MDCT who dismally lost the 2018 polls to MDC alliance led by Noson Chamisa. Although this is being done in accordance with the March 2020 Supreme Court judgment, the recent recalls have divided the nation. Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions, ZCTU, which formed the MDC in 1999, bemoaned the political hijacking of the opposition party, Secretary General Jafet Moyo told Channel Africa. The 1999 MDC is different from the current MDC. There should always be a, a difference between the two outfits. Our people have formed their own political outfits and they are exercising. We are not sure what rights do they have to recall a people that have been elected by people. Uh, people that have been elected into parliament or into councillors by voters. Most Zimbabweans thought the recalls by MDCT Secretary General Douglas Monzora were political and were meant to punish legislators and councillors who had failed to respect party instructions. However, the recall of Tendai Biti, Vice President of the MDC Alliance, exposed the nasty intentions by certain political characters in a bid to silence Nelson Chamisa. Bit was making headlines of late as he was exposing corruption in state institutions through the Finance Portfolio Committee. Most of the reports tabled by BT from the time President Emerson Nangagwa took over the reins of power were so damning and put to shame the state capture. According to Nkosiko Nadibiti, a young researcher based in Bulawayo, the recent calls are senseless and insincere. We have about 40-something recalls so far within, 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 from parliament, which means all these constituencies have no representation as we speak, and yet there are many bills that are in, in tabled, being tabled before parliament. Chief among them is the patriotic bill. So, Politically, it shows that uh, the leaders that we have or the political leaders that we have have no interest of people at heart because the infights, the political scoring, uh, the enmity among them is revealed that they don't value the choices that people make at grassroots level. So one wonders what will be the message to the electorate in 2023 outside the u- usual to then say, how do we fix the politics? How do we fix the governance system? And if we choose who we choose, what will become of, of, of that particular person? Meanwhile, Linda Masarira, former MDCT spokesperson under the leadership of Tokozani Kupe, expressed concern that the political parties had so much powers to whip parliamentarians in the August House. The issue of recalls is a contentious issue. 
And because of the level that it has been contentious in the Zimbabwean political economy, it is imperative for every political party to call for reforms regarding the issue to do with recalls in parliament. But it is rather unfortunate because of the nature of the politics of patronage and personalities that we have, that political parties still prefer to be the ones who have the mandate to recall an elected MP from the House of Assembly. Recalls didn't start yesterday. Now what happens is the whipping system that we have in our own parliament is the one that makes our parliamentarians ineffective to play their representative role in their constituencies because they have to play to the card, to the political party's uh, whipping system and the line that the political party wants to talk. And at the end of the day, this type of system has affected the representation aspect of legislators in Zimbabwe. So for people to want to now cry foul, it is an oxymoron. Why do I say that? Because all this was in the constitution. In Arari, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Mchemwa. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday motivation, motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by Design, be the architect of your life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African Perspective. perspective. It's 7.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The ANC chief whip in South Africa's parliament, Pemima Jodina, says she is satisfied with the reasons provided by ANC MPs who do not participate, who did not participate in last week's vote on a motion that could see the public protector Busisu Mkwebane removed from office. The ANC has 230 MPs, but only about 170 voted. In the run-up to the vote, several ANC members publicly stated that they would not vote in favor of a DA-led motion. According to reports, some of those like Mervyn Dirks and Supra Mahumapilu were not present at the sitting. Zaline Merrington reports. More than 60 ANC MPs did not cast their votes in favor of the inquiry proceeding. Political analyst Ralph Mateja says this immediately sparks comments of dissent within the parliamentary caucus. The public divisions regarding this within the ANC, it has actually uh, uh, brought the party under the spotlight where people maybe will begin to ask the question as to whether is this party well aligned? Is the ANC well positioned to hit the public mood, to listen to the public mood and prioritize those issues such as fighting against corruption that South Africans are mostly concerned about? This could certainly have uh, impact on the general confidence in the ANC. I mean, if the party comes out of the out of this thing with the sharp divisions at the end, it will be clear that the divisions, uh, the functional divisions within the party, are now beginning to impact the functions of the state institutions. I think we've seen that in the past. It's just that. This is another escalation of that. But the acting spokesperson of the caucus, Nomfanelo Kota, says the reasons, which range from poor internet connectivity to the virtual sitting to bereavements, were accepted. MPs who were absent from the House on the day of the vote had valid apologies. There was poor connectivity on the day as well, which played a major role because some of the MPs kept on being kicked out we don't envisage any disciplinary proceedings that will be forwarded um, against those. They explained why they could not log in, and the office of the chief whip accepted their reasons. And that's where the story ends for us. MPs such as Mervyn Dirks, Bongani Bongo, and Supra Maumapelo made their stance on the matter very clear in the days leading up to the vote. In a meeting with ANC top structures right before the vote, MPs were instructed to vote according to the party mandate in favour of the inquiry.
In previous years, the issue of MPs voting according to conscience versus towing the party line had been raised. Lawson Naidu from the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution says this is not untoward. So long as it is consistent with the manifestos. However, where parties take a stance that is contrary to the Constitution or the law, then MPs should not be obliged to follow a party instruction. Their oath of office, which commands allegiance to the Constitution and to act in the best interests of the Republic, overrides this. In the case of the vote earlier this week to establish an ad hoc committee to pursue impeachment proceedings against Ms. Inkwabani as the public protector, MPs needed to abide by the rules of the National Assembly. An independent panel uh, recommended that a committee should be established to pursue these impeachment proceedings. Therefore, the question is, on what basis would MPs second-guess the findings of such a panel? Attempts to speak to some of those MPs who did not vote in favour of the inquiry were not successful. This report was compiled with the assistance of Abra Barbia, Amzaline Meddington in Parliament. South Africa's Gauteng Premier David Makura has acknowledged that residents of the Val south of Johannesburg have been failed. He says that service delivery in the area has collapsed. He says leaders should account for neglecting people who voted them into power, delivering a keynote address at the Ferenigen City Hall as part of human rights commemoration. Makura promised to turn the situation around in this region. He has been paying tribute to the victims of a 1960 massacre which during which 69 people were killed while protesting against the apartheid government's human rights abuses on the 21st of March in 1960. Ditaba Zotezi reports. David Makura started Human Rights Commemoration Day by laying reeds at the Pilandaba Cemetery in Chapville on the Val. The program was delayed when PAC members kept on singing struggle songs or disrupting the start of the proceedings. Clad in their black and gold t-shirts, they held their own program using the same platform that was prepared for David Makura. They claim that they have been sidelined and not included in the program to honor the struggle heroes. Makura says the Val region is struggling. This year we have come back to the Val to also face the reality that governance and service delivery it's not going the way the people of the Val would want it to go. Because it is Human Rights Day, and because we must honor those who sacrificed and suffered, we must also account as those who have been given responsibility to hold public office. We must also account to what is it we are doing to fix governance in this area and address service delivery problems. Makura says that human rights have been violated in many ways in this region. The human rights of the people of the Val have been violated through the sewer spillage that have run to pollute, polluting many, many local areas, including sewer running on the streets, but also sewer spillage that has polluted the Val River. Premier Makura has promised to turn around the situation in the Val. He says money has been allocated to help rebuild this region. We are not giving the money to Enfule. We are going to spend that money to fix the roads that, they, that are a priority for the people of this area. Because the problem with Enfule is that if you give, the, if you give Enfule the money for the roads, you are not sure if that money will be spent on the roads. If you give the money and say go and buy the trucks to remove waste, you are not sure if that money will go and buy the trucks. Shabville resident Isaac Molefe says he was six years old on the 21st of March 1960 when his uncle was killed during the protest. He says the residents continue to suffer even years into democracy. That report by Ditaba Tsotetsi.
across the globe. Every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's 7.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The UN Joint Human Rights Office has described the Democratic Republic of Congo's situation as a serious one. This follows a report the office released showing an increase of human rights violations, especially in the country's eastern side, where dozens of armed groups operate. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. Human rights violations have increased up to 21%, according to the United Nations Joint Human Rights Office. The office has attributed the increase of violation number mainly to armed groups that remain active in different provinces of the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Abdulaziz Choi is the DRC UN Joint Human Rights Office Country Director. This increase is related to the increase of attacks by armed groups in east of the DRC, mainly in uh, Ituri, North Kivu and, and South Kivu, but also the increase in the number of restrictions of democratic space, meaning that uh, at the provincial level we have uh, administrative authorities that are actually uh, threatening, harassing and intimidating human rights defenders and uh, journalists and members of uh, civil societies and also political opponents. Meaning that in this part of the DRC, inhabitants are victims of human rights abuse perpetuated not only by armed groups but also by state agents, although they are the ones supposed to protect the population. However, the UN Joint Human Rights Office recognizes some achievements as far as the army and police are concerned. But in general, there is still a lot to do, according to the office country director, Abdulaziz Choi. The situation is still really fragile. We need to continue monitoring closely the situation. We have a degrees with regard to the number of uh, human rights violations attributed to FRDC, which is a positive uh, sign that we need to commend and that's what we did. We need to continue monitoring closely the situation and engaging and consolidating all the efforts we have done to curb the number of human rights violations in the country. And indeed, more than a hundred armed groups operate in the eastern DRC. Those include both local, such as Mai Mai, and foreign, such as Allied Democratic Forces, ADF from Uganda, and Democratic Forces for Liberation of Rwanda, FDLR. Jean-Noël Bamwese for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. An Indian firm will make 200 million doses of Russia's Sputnik COVID-19 vaccine to push its total output to 550 million shots a year. The announcement came amid demands to speed up the inoculation drive and warnings of a rapid upsurge in cases during the Hindu pilgrimage of Kumbh Mela next month. Rana Sen reports. A Bangalore-based firm will now become the fourth Indian company to manufacture Sputnik vaccines. And Kirill Dmitriev of Russia's direct investment fund said more such partnerships were on the cards. And very happy about our partnership with India. We believe that India is really a vaccine hub for the world. And we actually hope to produce more than 500 million doses of Sputnik V in India this year. And we will announce later on... Uh, in the next couple of weeks about additional partnerships. We believe that India is really a true hub of the vaccines, not only for Sputnik, but also for other manufacturers. And this is great that you build this great manufacturing capacity in India to really help to produce vaccine for India and to export it outside. The announcement came as a booster dose for India, where experts such as Padma Shivastav urged the government to press the accelerator on the national vaccination drive. Now that we have enough experience and 
we now have to balance out the demand and supply and i think the demand has grown with this second wave hitting us we have to roll it out and we also having now more data coming in that it is pretty much safe pregnancy lactating mothers and children are not immune to the disease or to a bad outcome said that therefore we need to have these vaccines rolled out to all and especially in maharashtra where the pandemic second wave seemed not very far away mumbai based specialist hemant deshmukh said the state was doing all it could vaccination is going to be an exit strategy for covid-19 as everybody understands and secondly today we have opened almost 134 private hospitals within the state of maharashtra for vaccinating and the time limit has been extended from 8 o'clock in the morning to evening 8 o'clock i think maharashtra is geared up to exit this uh, covid-19 by just vaccinating as many people as many beneficiaries as possible not necessarily the only the high risk group but analysts say just promises will not work in the state which is now reporting more than 25000 new cases every day elections are happening in four states where the positivity rate is less than 5% one year down the line if maharashtra is, is in such a precarious situation and is reporting two thirds of the cases the onus squarely lies upon the state government today the positivity rate is 21% is it rocket science that you need to bring it down to 5% if delhi could do that if gujarat could do that why can't maharashtra do that you need to increase the test by four times how can you increase the test by four times simply by getting on the basics which is testing tracing and containment That was Tuhin Sinha, a spokesman of India's ruling BJP party, asking the state government to go back to the basics. That report by Rana Sen. It's seven thirty Central African time, and our headlines up next with Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Health Cabinet Secretary Mutahi Kagwe is defending his decision to offer free COVID jabs to diplomats in Kenya. The number of coronavirus cases in South Africa is continuing to rise since the government moved the country to level one of the lockdown. And over 18,000 Australians have been evacuated across New South Wales as heavy rains continue to better the East Coast. Channel African News, I am Onelensinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. The Education Department in South Africa's Northern Cape Province says it is forced to come with a catch-up plan as schools continue to lose more school days due to COVID-19 infections. Most of the schools that are affected are in Namakwa District Municipality. The province has recorded a cumulative number of 362 infections just in the past three days. Four schools were forced to close in Calvinia in the past two weeks when 36 positive cases were reported in those schools. The department recorded a further 23 positive cases in the same district this past week. Mutlali Pule Murake reports. Northern Cape is still the province with the least infections and deaths. By Saturday, the province had recorded 35,454 infections with 794 deaths related to COVID-19-related complications. But in the recent days, the province has been recording over 100 infections daily. The schools, particularly in Namakwa District Municipality, have been affected by the recent spike. The Provincial Education Department says it is now compelled to come up with a cash-up plan as learners had lost on some school days due to COVID-19. The department spokesperson is Lihuma Ntuwani. We are now forced to develop a catch-up plan to ensure that once all the mass testing and verification has been done and we have obtained the results of those that have been tested, particularly our teachers, our learners and the support staff, we'll begin now to zoom into how we recover the lost teaching time and learning time uh, while the affected schools remain closed. The department will also monitor the situation very closely and we urge parents to remain calm and keep all learners in isolation. While infections in the province are continuing to rise, most people are still roaming the streets without observing COVID-19 protocols like social distancing and wearing face masks. 
SABC News caught up with some of those who were roaming the streets without their face mask, and this is what they had to say. Speaking honestly, being so, I've got no excuse <laughs> of why I have no mask. I regret it because, like, without it, at some place I can't go through. But no excuse. But I only wear my mask when I'm, I'm around the crowd, you see. Around too many people, then I only wear my mask. It's, it's, it's no more famous. The uh, COVID is now famous. Let them stop this condom budget or let them change the condom budget to the masks. The health department in the provinces Vaccination of health workers is proceeding well in the province with 4,556 of them having inoculated to date. Motlalipula Marake in Kimberley. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's 7.35 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The CRL Rights Commission in Johannesburg heard allegations of abuse and forced male sterilization at the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God during its investigative hearings. The Universal Church has its headquarters in Brazil with branches across the globe, including South Africa. A number of former pastors have come forward with allegations that include racism and that they were forced into sterilization. Pearl Makubani has this report. My name is Sigele Rotaibosh. I am from Cape Town. I am a former employee of UCKG. For the last 18 years of my life, we were not allowed to study. We were not allowed to have a job. We were not allowed to have a house of our own. We were not allowed to have children. We were forced to have vaxotomy. For the, for the past 18 years, we were stressed and very sad. Diabwash has labeled these allegations against the Universal Church, saying he was stripped of his dignity as a man, basic human rights infringed, and he says he and others endured years of abuse. We had no rights to visit our families. We were told to forget about our families because they would not understand our calling. We were forced to have vasectomy because we were told we had no rights. We were taken at any age, some of us were 15, 16, 17 years of old. We were promised by the church that they would take care of us. We were recruited without the rights of our parents. We were told to leave school without the rights of our parents. The former pastors say they were all forced to be sterilized and they told the commission they had no choice whatsoever. Pastor Goodwill Ndaole testified that he was almost forced to do a second vasectomy when the first male sterilization surgery didn't succeed. Goodwill says his wife fell pregnant and was immediately told to pack their bags. I discovered that my wife, she is pregnant. And he told me, mm, mm, mm. I advise you, pack your bags of it. And they asked me, did you make vasectomy? Then I told them, yes, I mean, that's the change one has to do. So I told the doctor, I told the doctor, I said, I need to make another vasectomy. The doctor refused, told me, why are you making vasectomy? You are still young. Why are you doing this? I told him, no, it's the rules of the change. Because if I don't do this, I'll be in trouble. And our wife, could be considered a miracle as most of the wives had no idea what it felt like to conceive. 
like this lady who wanted to remain anonymous says she was yearning to have children of her own we wives in the universal church were told to keep quiet we are told not to say anything not to share anything we live by the rules and regulations of the church as a wife you have to be submissive to the leaders of the church and whatever that they tell you to do you do it as a woman because now i needed i wanted a child but there was no way because i was deprived from having my own children or to get pregnant or meanwhile jacob kumalo told the commission that most congregants lost their money in houses, believing lies they were sold by the church. They kill me spiritually, they kill me physically. I have no money, I have nothing to The Universal Church Commission, they have tricks. Most people who are being Universal Church, they lose their houses, they lose their cars, they lose their money in the bank account. With campaigns, as they're saying, we're going to Israel, take half of your amount in your bank account. People, they take this. But most of Universal Church things are tricks. The Commission will hold another session in the near future. Pilmogobane, Johannesburg. The UK Minister for Africa, James Dudridge, says the integrated review will strive to position his country as a great partner in helping address some of the humanitarian challenges Africa faces, provide young girls with quality education, as well as help get COVID-19 vaccines to the continent through the COVAX initiative. The document is a comprehensive articulation of the United Kingdom's national security and international policy. Among other things, it puts an emphasis on openness as a source of prosperity and places an increased determination on seeking multilateral solutions to challenges like climate change. Dudridge elaborates on what the integrated review is. So the British government decided to review our diplomatic, foreign policy, development policy, security policy and trade policy all in one document, a big review that perhaps will take us uh, on a different course, a biggest, uh, different course since uh, Cold War in relation to uh, policies around the world. And it focused on four uh, areas, um, advancing science and technology, uh, advancing uh, free trade, uh, around the world, uh, getting our security position uh, right and using Britain as a force for good. And by that, we mean operating uh, as a strong international partner uh, around the world, uh, particularly in Africa, on things like uh, working on, on climate, standing up for open societies, free elections, uh, human rights, and continuing our support uh, particularly to the African continent on international development. Now, what does the integrated review mean for the UK in Africa? Well, for the UK in Africa, it means we want to have a deeper partnership. We continue to uh, contribute £10 billion of overseas uh, development assistance. We want to focus as well on helping the immediate humanitarian problem where there is famine, but also the longer term, so looking at providing girls with quality education uh, for 12 years, which will have a transformational uh, impact. It means, you know, more shorter term, helping with the uh, COVID uh, crisis, uh, supplying uh, vaccines through uh, COVAX, where we've already uh, helped supply 15 million doses over 26 African countries. But more than this, it, it, it's showing the way forward uh, and the benefits of free and open societies and free trade, not only around the world, but within Africa, through the African continental free trade area. Minister, the UK has many competitors in Africa. How will you differentiate your offer? Well, I think the UK is in a different position and has a deeper history and relationship with many African countries compared to other international competitors uh, such as China uh, and Russia. And we want a much more open uh, partnership, a less transactional uh, partnership, uh, based uh, around values as well as trade. Tell us a bit about what is happening with the UK-Africa trade now that you've left the European Union. Well, we've signed uh, 16 uh, trade agreements. We want to do uh, more uh, longer-term countries move out of uh, lower-income status. 
We want to make sure that that, that trade is, continues to be as free and liberal as possible. Um, we're particularly doing more uh, on manufacturing, so there's more value added to uh, goods uh, that use African uh, resources, so the value added and um, the value of the, the end product, more of that is retained in country. Because it's fine for us to talk about uh, development, we've got a big development commitment across Africa, but Africa's future really is about uh, a, having productive economies, having growing economies, uh, and having good taxation systems and good politicians that support spending of that uh, taxation uh, system. And that, that's the way forward. So it's much more complex uh, and multifaceted the partnership that we want, uh, which is very different to the partnership that other countries want, which is much more transactional. Before I let you go, Minister, what is the UK doing to get COVID-19 vaccines to Africa? Well, firstly, we, we were in partnership very early on uh, with African countries and the African Union and provided money to the African Union uh, Centre for Disease uh, Control because it's very clear that the spread of the virus uh, has been different in characteristic across Africa and uh, in some cases within Africa. Um, the, the experience has been uh, different. Uh, we were an initial uh, supporter of COVAX. We put in sorry, £584 million pounds into COVAX. Um, that has helped provide 15 million uh, doses across 26 African countries. Um, and we've also said uh, when this pandemic started, uh, we ordered a large number of vaccines, um, some of which we will not need in the UK, and we will uh, commit to uh, distributing the majority of those through the COVAX uh, facility, which will help the developing uh, world, which is uh, predominantly African. That was James Dudridge, UK Minister for Africa, speaking to Elizabeth Lidicha. It's 7.46 Central African time, and our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The administrators of South African Airways, SAA, hope to hand control of the business back to management by the end of the month, the state-owned airline said in a letter to affected parties. SAA has been under a form of bankruptcy protection since December 2019, and its fortunes worsened during the COVID-19 pandemic. All operations were mothballed in September 2020 when funds ran low. The letter said SAA's board of directors and management were working on a plan to resume flights without giving a date when that might happen. The administrators said they were they had received $530 million out of a $714 million bailout allocated in the government's October midterm budget. South Africa's young people prefer to work for organizations that have business leaders who are open and honest in their communication with employees. In the eyes of the younger generation, transparency has become an important factor that needs to be ensured by employers, in particular on matters relating to the business and leadership. These are some of the findings of PWC's Workforce Preference Study. The report provides an overview of what young people are looking for from future employers in South Africa. Mora Jarvis, Director in PwC's people and organization. What it consisted of was an online survey that we marketed via social media, um, looking at people who are about to enter the workforce, so anybody from the age of 18 onwards, um, as well as people who are currently in the, in the working environment. And the aim of the study was to find out what really matters to people and what are they looking for from the employers in South Africa. So that could be your future employer in terms of somebody who is still studying, as well as people who are in the workplace when they're looking at a new job. Uh, you know, what are the factors that they take into account that really matter to them in terms of choosing which organization to join? 
Nigeria's inflation rose to a four-year high of more than 17% in February, while a rise in joblessness left a third of the workforce unemployed at the end of 2020, according to the state's office. Year-on-year inflation was 17.33% in February, after 16.47% in January, the National Bureau of Statistics, NPS, said, blaming increases in the cost of food. The NPS also said Nigeria's unemployment rate rose to 33.3% in the three months through December, up from 27.1% in the second quarter of 2020. The food prices rose last month, especially for beef, after traders in northern Nigeria suspended deliveries to the popular south in protest at alleged killings and harassment of their kinsmen. The blockade has since been lifted. Malawi's Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives has demanded government to remove some of the seven levies attached to fuel, saying they are leading to high pump prices. In a statement, the center's executive director, Sylvester Namiwa, said the organization conducted an investigation in order to find out the root causes of the ever-increasing fuel prices besides the two usual suspects, the depreciation of the kwacha and changes in oil prices on the international market. The seven levies include Malawi, Energy Regulatory Authority, MERA, Roads, Malawi Bureau of Standards, Rural Electrification, Price Stabilization, Storage and MERA Complex, complex Construction Levy. And Turkey's currency has tumbled as much as 14% after President Recep Tayyip, Tayyip Erdogan sacked the country's central bank governor over the weekend. Nasi Akbal had been credited as a key force in pulling the lira back from historic lows. Akbal, who was appointed in November, had been raising interest rates to fight an inflation rate running above 15%. Erdogan replaced him in a surprise move yesterday, the third central bank governor exit in under two years. The U.S. dollar is trading at 411.6 Nigerian Naira, a 10.96 Botswana Pula, 109.79 Kenyan Shilling and 22.7 Zambian Kwacha. In other currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 5.49 Brazilian Heal, 74.24 Russian Ruble, 72.48 Indian Rupee, 6.51 Chinese Yuan, and 14.80 South African Rand. The dollar is also trading at 72 pence to the British Pound and 83 cents to the Euro. Gold is at $1,739 and platinum at $1,205 per ounce, while the price of plain crude oil is at $63.40 a barrel. And that's the latest business news. Thanks, Amanda. Our sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning, sport fans. Starting off with cricket news. The Momentum Proteus have registered a historic white ball double triumph on their current tour of India after they clinched the T20 International Series yesterday to add to the five-match ODI Series they won last week. Having won the ODI Series 4-1, they took an unassailable 2-0 series lead in the three-match series when they won the second match at Lucknow by six wickets in a thriller that went down to the final ball. It is the first time the Proteus have beaten India in a T20 series. Team captain Sunailus. I think there's a lot of positives. Um, I think our confidence levels are, are actually where we want them. Um, the girls are backing themselves. They're just playing fearless cricket. And I think that's, especially in T20 cricket, that's what you want. Yeah, no, it's amazing to see the girls just coming out, like I said, playing fearless cricket. Um, I think it's so good for our future and for Cricket South Africa's future. Um, you know, if 
if on the day we can't play Marizan, Kapo, Shivnam or Lazelle, um, we know there's players coming in, you know, we back them, they back themselves and then we get results like this. So I think it's it's amazing the youngsters coming up and, you know, I think there's a, uh, there's a lot of being, a lot of work being done back home um, to, to get to where we are. So it's just, it's amazing to see the improvement. The government of Kenya has started the process of realigning the Sports Act with the country's constitution and international federation's principles. The Ministry of Sports says a special team of experts is sifting through the Act to identify areas of interest that may require changes. The confirmation has been done by the Principal Secretary for the Sports, Joe Ogudo. Right now we've put a committee together first to revise the Sports Act to make sure that it speaks to developing sports in the country. As it is right now, it's very confusing and sometimes not practical. Once that is done, we will have a virtual conference with all the federations and take them through the sports act, take them through the governance uh, structures that we expect them to adhere to moving forward and, and all that that you're speaking to. So that that's part of the process of cleaning up sports in the country. Many don't even qualify as it stands right now, but we're cleaning up all that. And that's why we're revising the sports act. And this will happen in the next one or two months and you will see it, we'll invite you even into those validation workshops. The changes have been necessitated by recent wrangles in some of the country's sporting federations, more so leadership. Uh, this is a beginning where government is engaging international federations, where we feel that uh, the, the sports is being treated unfairly because of governance issues, no elections. This is the route that we'll be taking to make sure that we clean up sports in this country. Yeah, and this will go for, there will be no exceptions to the law. And finally, in football news. Log leader Samamelori Sundowns opened a four-point lead at the top of the South African DSTV Premiership table following their one-all draw with the basement dwellers of Black Leopards at Loftus Fersfeld in Pretoria, the country's capital city, yesterday. After 18 matches, Sundowns remain unbeaten, but the surprising draw spoiled their attempt to become the first team of the season to win five consecutive games. Leopards rock bottom on the lock, have 13 points from two. 20 games. Sundowns opened the scoring in the ninth minute when left back Lyle Lake reeled in a corner kick, which was smartly met by midfielder Lebohang Mabowe. In the 80th minute, Lido Dadova sprang a surprise on the defending champions who looked all set to back maximum points. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, Amneto and Itio Chemani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Dennis Mbale with a song titled Make It For You. Goodbye and keep safe. <laughs>